Okay, so we are at a rather momentous moment right now, and that is that we are finishing the book of John. I know, it's been amazing though, hasn't it? And long, you know, it's, it's taken a while, but it's been fantastic. What a journey, absolutely brilliant. So today we are in John 21, and we have Jerem Watts, who's part of our street community and has been for quite some time now, to come and teach that to us, and uh, you're in for a treat, all right? So let's get our hearts and our heads and ourselves ready. Let's pray before Jerem dares to, <laughs> to go there. This is good. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our triune God, we come before you and we ask that you would speak because we know we're opening your word. It's your word. Speak, Lord, we're listening. Open any ears that need to be opened. Open any eyes that need to be opened. Clear minds. Soften hearts. And would your word fall like rain on land that that receives the rain? Would we be like that land that receives the rain? And our God, as we come to this amazing chapter, Father, would you now freshly anoint Jerem as he brings your word to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. Yeah, it has been a while. It's been uh, just under a year. It was at the end of April last year that we started this Gospel of John, and it's taken a really long time to get through it. But I think I, I think that's a wonderful thing, and one thing that I certainly appreciate about about this church community is we exalt the Word of God, and it is central. And we're not just going to rip through another book as fast as we can. We're going to plumb it. We're going to dive into it, and we're going to see get everything out of it that we can. So thank you for a year in John. How long is it going to take us to get through Hebrews? <laughs> I think at the end of last week probably would have been the perfect place for John to finish his story. Uh, he, he finished chapter 20 with just a beautiful verse. It says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you'll have life in his name. And the plan comes into land, and it's finished. But then he takes off again at the start of chapter 21, and it's almost like an afterthought. And for some of you, uh, you might have a little heading at the top of 21 that says epilogue. So in some ways, this is a bit of an afterthought. But as I was preparing for this, I read one particular commentator who put it really, really well. And he said, yes, at the end of chapter 20, it was a perfect finishing point. But... In many ways, 21 is a great continuance because it shows that when Christ ascended, his mission is now carried out through us. His mission to all the world is now carried out through imperfect human beings. And we see that in none other than the disciple of uh, Peter in this chapter uh, focuses on him and his relationship with Jesus If you have a Bible, please turn to John 21. I don't have it up on the screen, so if you want to listen in, it's quite a cool story to follow along. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the nets in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the nets full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Follow me. Follow me. That is the the call of Jesus in verse 19 there. It is the call that Jesus said to many people throughout his three-year ministry in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And it's the call that he's given the generations of people since then. And the call he gives to us today is follow me. Last week, uh, Sarah, (coughs) not Jesus, Sarah, (laughs) uh, finished chapter 20 with the call to believe. That is the call that Jesus gives out to the nations is believe in me. Believe I am the son of God. And then there comes a point after belief that we have to follow. And often when people ask me, when I meet various people and turns out that they find out I, I have a faith, they say, are you a Christian? 
And sometimes I, I just say, yes, I'm a Christian. Other times I say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Sometimes I find that if I just say yes, then, then I will get lumped with whatever their view of Christianity is. If they have a perception of a Christian, if I just say yes, then, then I'll become that. But I have the chance to explain what a follower is. But when I say follower, I go from being a noun, a Christian. Here's a little grammar lesson for you. A noun, a Christian, to being a verb, a follower. I'm defined by what I do. It's an action. Following means doing. And this isn't saying that we are saved by our works. We can't earn our salvation. The Bible is very clear on that. We are saved by grace through faith. But as followers, we are defined by our actions. Our love for Jesus shows itself in the way that we live and the way we treat other people and the things that we do. And so I've been considering over the past weeks, how is my doing going? How am I following? Because I find, and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, that life and my, my sin nature that is still there, it still rears its head at times, it, it's a battle to follow. There are things that get thrown up in my life that make it difficult for me. It, they inhibit me. They, they stand in my way of being the total follower of Jesus that I want to be. And so here in John 21, we get to see Peter address just three of those things there are many things in our lives that can do this but there are three things here that, that i want us to look at today and one is is fishing one is failure and the third is focus three f's so i hope you remember them so some time has passed uh, since jesus has has died he's been raised from the dead and he has appeared to his disciples and we know from the book of matthew another account of jesus life that the disciples have been told go and wait in galilee jesus will meet you there and so the boys go and they're there and they're waiting and jesus doesn't show up and so simon peter says i'm going fishing so they jump in the boat, they fish all night, they get nothing, and then someone appears on the shore and calls out to them and basically says, hey boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? And that is the last thing you want to hear from someone standing on the shore while you're on the boat fishing. And you can tell they're not impressed by their response, they just say, no, <laughs> no. And then we know Jesus says, hey, put your net down on the other side and you'll get something. They do, large haul of fish, and John turns to Peter and says, that can only be one person. It's Jesus. And this may seem like a very straightforward little story, but to understand the depth of what's going on here, we need to remember that fishing was Peter's whole life before he met Jesus. Back in Luke 5, there's a, a description of when Peter was first called to follow Jesus. It says Jesus saw him on the, on the edge of Lake Galilee, maybe even the same stretch that we find Peter on here in John 21. And Jesus steps into Peter's boat and says, hey, put out to the lake and let your net down. And Peter says, Jesus, master, I've fished all night and I've got nothing but because you say so, I'll give it one more crack and gets a, a miraculous catch of fish and the nets start to break. And Peter says, oh, you are God. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And, and Jesus says, hey, from now on, you're going to catch people instead of fish. Jesus calls Peter to a mission out of fishing, out of the boat, leaving the nets behind. And the, and the uh, writer of Luke, and Luke says that Peter left everything. Left everything 
and followed Jesus. And then we find him back here in 21, back in the boat. What's going on? Some commentators are pretty ruthless and they say that Peter has totally denied Jesus and that this is the most condemned fishing trip ever because it means that Jesus, that Peter has just gone, no, I'm done with the ministry, I'm forgetting Jesus, I'm going back to the way that I knew. Others are a little bit more lenient and I'm probably going to err on this side and, and say that, man, maybe Peter was just hungry. Dude's got to eat, right? And he knew how to catch fish, so he went fishing. At a minimum, it is fair to say that the disciples were uncertain about what to do next. They were uncertain. Jesus had said, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. He's not there. Oh, what do we do? He's, he's appearing and he's, and he's disappearing and he's showing himself to various people. The boys don't know what to do. And so Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And maybe for Peter it was, well, if Jesus doesn't show, at least I've got this. If Jesus doesn't show, at least I've got something I can fall back on. And, and whether it was Peter returning to the old ways, to something that was easier for him, something just a little bit more comfortable than uh, following Jesus is, is, is a bit tough. Maybe I'll go back fishing. Maybe this is going to be the easier life for me. Whether it was that or whether it was for Peter the same old thing, because fishing was routine for him. He knew what to do. It was just put the net out, pull it up. It could just be the same old thing that Peter was stuck in. But we see that Jesus calls him out of it. What is it for you? If it's, if it's the old, if it's ah, you know, following can just be tough sometimes. I'm going to go back to what I know. This way of life, this way of thinking, it just costs too much. Or maybe it's something in a really tangible way. Maybe you've been, you know, stepping out in faith and, and trying to evangelize more and share your faith more. But it doesn't feel like Jesus is showing up. And so maybe it was just easier when I just kept my mouth shut and didn't have to speak up all the time. Or maybe for you it's the same old and it's just the, the, the day in, day out, putting the kids to bed and then waking them up and getting on the bus and going to work and doing your job and having lunch and coming home and doing dinner and going to bed and it's the day in, day out, putting the nets down, pulling them up, putting the nets down, pulling them up and we don't expect Jesus to show up in the day in and day out. We don't expect it. It's just another day. It's just Tuesday. It's just Tuesday. But Jesus loves surprises the boys were not expecting him we see that in verse uh, in verse 4 early in the morning jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was him jesus had told them that he's coming they knew that he was going to arrive in galilee and yet when they see him on the shore they don't even think that it could be him they're not expecting him to show up but jesus shows up and their night of nothing goes into a morning of harvest Jesus appears in the night of their, of their failure, in the night of their emptiness. Jesus shows up in the dawn, surprises them, and they get a miraculous haul of fish. We need to expect Jesus to turn up in the routine of day to day. He wants to. I had this a few, uh, few weeks ago. Uh, currently, my wife and I are living in the glorious metropolis that is Masterton, and um, Okay, you can laugh if you want. It's not, I don't know. 
But we, uh, uh, I've been, um, for my work doesn't really matter where I am as long as I've got my laptop and some Wi-Fi. So I went into a cafe and for me that was just another day. It was just another day. I was going to uh, go on the cafe, bust out my laptop and I thought, today, uh, I'll, take, I'll take my Bible today. Uh, maybe I can get some prep in um, for this message. And, and so as I was sitting there, just another day, uh, the cafe owner walked by and he saw my Bible and he goes, Is that a Bible? And I was like, um, yes, yes it is. He goes, I haven't seen one of those in Masterton in three years. <laughs> and that is not an indictment on Masterton. That's just maybe the clientele of that cafe. But, but I got to say, yeah, man, it's, yeah, it's a Bible. I'm preparing for a message. And he says, wait there. And he went and he made two coffees, brought me a free one. And um, we sat down. We had a great conversation about what I was preparing and the work that I do and I've been able to go in there nearly every day since and and we just get to chat and we've built this friendship now and it was just another day it was just another day but Jesus wanted to break into that day and show me that he cares that he wanted he wanted to reach out to that cafe owner it's never just another day it's never just another day forget fishing the next point is, is face failure. And so we see that in the continuation of the story. John says, it's the Lord. Look at all this fish. It has to be Jesus. Peter goes full Forrest Gump and jumps off the boat when he sees Lieutenant Dan and starts splashing towards Jesus. And then as he's stumbling ashore, stumbling up that rocky shore on the, on the edge of Galilee, he, he looks up and he, and he smells something very, very familiar smells of charcoal fire. And John is very specific in, in his writing. You see there for you um, Greek nerds, I've put, two, I've put the Greek word there which, which um, John has used to describe this particular kind of fire. You only find it twice in the New Testament and it's in these two places. The first time is when Peter denied Jesus. His moment of biggest failure he was standing around a fire of burning coals telling people he had no idea who Jesus was. The only other time we see this particular fire is right here. And as Peter goes up that shoreline, I wonder what he felt when he smelt those burning coals and he heard the crackle of kindling and he saw the glowing red embers. And then I wonder if he just got that, oh, oh man, the last time I saw that was the biggest failure of my life. And I wonder if, like his biggest failure, he locked eyes with Jesus. Back then when he denied him, it said he saw Jesus, they locked eyes, and then he wept. And I wonder if he caught Jesus' eyes again as he walked up the lake. And it was almost like Jesus would have been saying, yeah, we've got to address this. We've got to address this. And so they had breakfast. Jesus cooks them breakfast. The resurrected king cooks them breakfast. Amazing. He's, he's, a, he's shown that he is God of the universe and he's the one making them food. Jesus loves community. He loves, uh, he, he loves a meal with his mates. And so they sit down and they eat. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've caught. Um, here's something I prepared earlier. And then they eat. And at the end, he gets down to business. And he looks at Peter and he says, Simon, son of John. He actually calls Peter by his old name. When he first called Peter, he said, from now on you will be called Peter, which means the rock. And then Jesus actually says, Simon, son of John, 
I wonder what Peter would have felt when, oh, he didn't use he didn't use my new name. What's going on here? He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? What does he mean by more than these? I wonder if Jesus gestured to the fish and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the fishing, than your old life, than your income? Do you love me more than this comfortable thing that you know? Or maybe he gestured to the boys and he said, do you love me more than these? Because we know from the other accounts of the gospel that uh, when Jesus said, he told them, one day I'm going to die, Peter said, no way. And if even all these other lads, if the other disciples disown you, I never will. I never will. And so I wonder if Jesus said, do you love, actually love me more than the other disciples? Whatever Jesus is referring to here, the heart of what he's asking is, Peter, do you love me more than anything? Do you love me more than anything? Do I have your whole heart? Am I your highest love, your greatest treasure? Jesus asks him twice more, do you love me? Do you love me? And after each question, Jesus, uh, Peter replies, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And John makes a point of saying that Peter was hurt after Jesus asked him the third time that he was hurt. And I wonder if that one stung all the more because it matched his denials. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I wonder if just each question maybe just cut a little bit deeper. But then as we see, Jesus doesn't leave Peter in pain. He renews him with a mission and with a new mission. And also what we see is that Jesus doesn't come to him with a stick. He doesn't bash him around the head. I feel like I love my parents and we, um, uh, when we were growing up, I knew that if we did anything wrong, we were going to get a smack. Dad had a, a decent bit of bamboo and um, he's not a child abuser, okay? <laughs> but I knew that if I did something wrong, like I, there would, the flinch would come. You're just waiting for the, I did, did something wrong, waiting for the flinch. But, and I wonder if Peter, when Jesus said, Peter, he just waiting for the, you failed me. Are you sorry? Are you sorry for what you did, Peter? You let me down, man. Do you feel guilty enough? Do you feel ashamed enough? Yeah, you made a mistake. I wonder if Peter was expecting that. And I wonder if we expect that sometimes. When we fail or fall short, we're just waiting for the, waiting for the blow, waiting for the, the hammer to come down. But we don't see that from Jesus. Jesus is the one who, in Isaiah, says that he won't break a bruised reed or put out a smoldering candle. In Romans 2, it says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. In Psalm 51, uh, King David writes that a broken and contrite heart Jesus will not reject. And so Jesus comes and says, Peter, do you love me? And I love what Alexander McQueen, a, a Scottish minister from the 1800s, says, puts it beautifully. He says, Jesus Christ asks each one of us, not for obedience primarily, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. You can, you can obey in and of itself. You can promise in and of itself. You can do each of those things individually. But only one thing will bring them all in tow, and that is a proclamation, uh, a giving of love. 
when you love, you just can't help but do those things. I love my wife. I can't help but do what pleases her and I'm thinking about her and I want to make her happy and, and I promise things and I, because she has my heart, everything else goes with it and it's the same with the Lord. We can say that we'll do things for him. We can try and work out and, and earn salvation but our, with our works, but only a heart, only a life. Only when he becomes everything for us does everything else follow. And so Jesus says, Peter, do I have your heart? And so I wonder if some of us need a charcoal fire moment with the Lord this morning. I wonder if we need to have that moment and have him address that thing that we did, that failure that still haunts, those mistakes that... Whenever we try and step out or whenever we, we feel like we're making momentum and, and moving forward in our faith and life, the enemy comes and says, Oh, remember that thing, that thing that you did. Oh, how can you get over that? I imagine Satan was in Peter's ear constantly during those weeks going, You're a failure. You're a failure. You can't follow. Just give up. And I wonder if some of you, some of us have that in our ears today. Perhaps you need to take a moment with the Lord this morning and sit around a fire with him and, and let him deal with it. But failure is never final with God. It's never final with God. And we see that because Jesus gives Peter a new mission. After each, do you love me? He says something new. He says, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Perhaps the single greatest failure of Peter's life could have been the penny on the train tracks that derailed his whole life. He could have lived out of that failure forever and never grown into everything God wanted him to be. But Jesus comes and in the midst of his suffering and in the midst of his feeling pretty bad about himself, restores him with love and then says, hey, I've got something new for you. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. And if you're living out of failure here this morning, guess what? Jesus isn't done with you yet. He's got something new for you that he wants you to move on with. And you see, it's not just about you. Peter's restoration wasn't just about him. Jesus said to him, be a pastor. Be a pastor. I want you there are sheep, my sheep, Jesus' sheep. They need tending. They need caring. I want you to look after them. They are depending on you, Peter. And for us, so many times, and, and I'm so guilty of this, I honestly feel sometimes that pursuing sanctification and pursuing a, a God-honoring holy life for me, but it's so much more than that. Your sanctification, your growing in holiness, your dealing with this thing in the past and moving on as a follower of Christ, yes, it's for you and it's for your soul, but it's for so many other people around you too. It's for so many other people who are walking with you and who need to take encouragement from you and your life. Husbands, your wife needs you to be a total follower of Jesus. Your kids need a dad to look up to. Your family needs you to be committed, focused, whole, restored. Wives, your husband, your kids need you to be restored and to move on. There are people there are brothers, there are sisters that are depending on us. It's like a, a plane, if its engines are busted, the plane isn't going to get off the runway, but neither are the 300 people who are on board. There are people depending on us. 
forget fishing, face your failure, and finally, we must fix our focus. Once Jesus restores Peter, he then gives him a little peek into the future. He says, all right, Peter, bro, we have dealt with your sin. You are going to be an epic pastor. You are going to be, thousands of people are going to come into the kingdom because of you, and you are going to be tortured and die. Not the greatest breakfast chat around, but Peter follows all the same. And, uh, and what Jesus refers to there, he, he, he speaks in a bit of a picture and he says, One day, uh, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Stretch out your hands. Jesus is referring to crucifixion. And we know from church tradition that Peter was crucified in his old age. And he actually got crucified upside down because he didn't believe he was worthy of being crucified the same way of Jesus. So Peter gave, Jesus gave him this picture of what's going to happen in your life. And, so Peter, and then he says, follow me. So Peter starts following. But then it says he basically takes a few steps and then he looks over his shoulder and says, well, if I'm going to be crucified, what about John? What about him? What's his deal? And, Peter's, and Jesus essentially says to him, Peter, if I want John to live until the second coming, what is that to you? What is that to you? So that he's a little bit sarcastic, I think, and it's the classic uh, parental line. My mum was a killer with this one. Growing up with two brothers, if mum asked one of us to do something, then the other ones would just be like, what's he going to do? You know, what about him? And mum would always say something like, well, if I want him to fly to the moon, what's that to you? You know, and it's just like, why, why do you care what your brother is doing? You, follow, uh, you go and do the dishes. Peter... Why do you care what's going to happen to John? I have told you to follow me. Peter was unfocused. He wasn't listening. He wasn't following. And maybe a hindrance to our total commitment to being total followers of Jesus is that we aren't focused. That we're, well, what, what are they doing? What's, what's he doing? And we're, we're looking around at how other people are living. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, and I don't think what John's referring to here is coveting, is, is comparing what I have to what someone else has. I think what he's looking at is, is comparing lives here. And this is something that, um, that I've, yeah, battled with a bit over the past couple of years. I, um, trained as a journalist and I was a journalist for a few years and then a couple of five years and then three years ago, the opportunity came for me to, uh, to either really pursue that or to step out and and change tack, and um, so I made the decision to leave my career and and go work in anti-trafficking, and so my life is now taking more of a trafficking ministry route. And and over the years, as I've gone down that path instead of I've watched other friends who who've sort of stayed where they are or other people my age, and their careers are really taking off, and some of them making a lot of money. And they're buying houses and they're having children. And I find myself going, oh, man, that looks like a better deal. Or, oh, gee, should I, should I, be, doing, should I be doing that? Oh, and, and I'm losing focus. And just the other day, my wife and I were having a conversation of, of what the next year is going to look like. And, and we feel God has called us to, to, to live a particular way with a particular focus, and we're committed to that. But we had this conversation where we said, oh, man, our 
people are having children and, and they're buying a house and oh man, should we, should we be thinking about having kids or should we, uh, should we not be traveling or should we go and do this? And we had this conversation not based out of faith, not based out of we know what the Lord has for us. It was a conversation of comparison, of looking around and, and we just had totally lost focus for a few minutes and then we just pulled ourselves back and almost laughed it off going, oh man, why are we looking around? My story is not your story. Your story is not my story. Your, Jesus doesn't tell you anyone else's story except your own. You have a path to walk. You have a life to live. And it is going to look probably vastly different to the person sitting next to you. Unless that person is your spouse, then your stories will be pretty similar. But there, I can tell you there will be no, there's nothing to be gained from comparing your calling, your life, to what other people are doing. It it, it gets us nowhere. And and so Jesus asks us to fix our focus. How do we do that? Well, we go to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, we are that joy, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Forget, forget fishing. Forget the old life. Forget the old life. Face your failure. Throw that off. Let that go and fix your focus on Jesus. It's the only way that we're able to live as total followers is with him as our highest goal, as our greatest treasure, as our highest love. And in order to do that, to fix our focus, we we need to be spending time with him. We need to read about him, sing about him, talk about him, pray Spend time with him. Do things that build up affection for him. One of the greatest, most encouraging quotes I've ever heard was from a pastor called Matt Chandler, and he said, fill your life, fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus Christ. Anything that makes you love him more, want to serve him more, know him more, fill your life with those things. And at the same time, cut out of your life things that would rob you of that affection, things that take your focus off him and make you forget about him and love him less. Fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus Christ. I love what King David says in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How much must he have loved Jesus? One thing I ask of God. One thing, I just want to be with you all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Man, I'd love to have a heart like King David. The one thing that I want, God, is just to look at you and to be in your temple and be with you. I don't want anything else. King David's highest love, his focus was fixed on Jesus Christ, on God the Father. And this is what Jesus was asking of Peter. 
fix your focus. Don't look around. Look at me. You know the remarkable thing about Peter's story? Go and read Acts. After finishing John, I read through and had a look at Acts, and there was just a complete transformation in this guy's life. Unbelievable. Almost reading Acts, and I'm going, man, is this the, is this the same dude? Because he goes from being unfocused, undisciplined, rash, says stupid things, cuts off people's ears, to being this absolute pillar of the church, bold, unwavering. He takes flogging after flogging for the name of Jesus. What changed? What changed in Peter's life? How did he become so focused on Jesus? Well, we have the answer We have that difference. And Jesus promised it in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He lives with you and will be in you and will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit. It's the reason, one of the reasons Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection is so that he could pour out his presence, his spirit, and be with every believer everywhere all the time. You have him inside of you. The reason Peter was so bold, so focused, so dedicated, is because he believed what Jesus said was his new mission, and he had the Holy Spirit guiding him. And if you're a follower, if you're a Christian here today, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, guiding you, talking to you, helping you. Talk to him. Ask him. Uh, Holy Spirit, stir up within me, please, uh, an effect, more of an affection for Jesus. Show me, show me if I'm, if I'm thinking of going back to an old life. Show me that you're there in my day today. Help me to face this failure. Holy Spirit, help me to fix my focus. That's where we are, a week after Resurrection Sunday. Holy Spirit is being poured out and he's in us and he's with us. And so as we, as we end, maybe just take a, a few moments before, um, before Sarah and Josh get up and, and just consider where you're at today as a follower. Is there, is there fishing that, you're, that, that you need to let go of, an old way of life that you're holding on to or considering even going back to? Or do you just need to see and ask him, expect him to show up in your everyday or is there a failure that's been holding you back, that you've been living out of, that's been just holding you back from being all that you want to be and know you can be as a follower of Jesus? And maybe you're, like I have a tendency to do when you're, you're looking around and comparing, maybe you need to fix your focus. Take a few moments and, 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 uh, and have a chat with Jesus about that around a charcoal fire.